This is Whitley Strieber, and this is Dreamland. You've reached the edge of the world. Well, today on Dreamland, we have an absolutely legendary figure, so legendary that he's been on Dreamland a number of times before, and you all will know him immediately as soon as you see him, because he is frequently on Ancient Aliens. Welcome back to the show, Nick Pope. It's so good to have you back with us. Well, thank you, Whitley. It's great to be back. Nick, of course, is an author. He's a journalist. He is a former government official of the UK, uh, known for his work as a uh, UFO investigator. Uh, he's from London, uh, attended the University of Warwick, and he worked for the Ministry of Defense from 1985 until 200, 2006. Are those correct dates? Yes, they are. Yeah. All right. Now, you had, there's been a lot of controversy about exactly what you did do uh, regarding UFOs. And could you just uh, outline for us precisely what it was? Certainly. Well, some, some people have, uh, in recent media articles and online posts inadvertently promoted me, uh, not quite to the level of being the king. But, I saw uh, one. I sent you. A, I sent you that <laughs> note. Remember, some newspaper said it. You had been the the minister of defense. <laughs> yes, I think this happens a lot because, uh, particularly when there are foreign language articles, what happens is that uh, Nick Pope, who worked for the Ministry of Defense, sometimes gets mistranslated as Nick Pope, the Minister of Defense, and then when. <laughs> When those articles then get translated back into English, uh, the, the, the mistake kind of sticks and gets amplified. And it's, it's very hard then to keep track of this and try and correct it because, because once the genie is out of the bottle, you know, it runs away. So, so right. I've been erroneously referred to as the, the minister, uh, the secretary of state for defense, effectively right. a sec def equivalent. Uh, and and on the other end of the spectrum, there are a couple of the rather more dishonest and uh, obsessed British uh, ufologists who who sort of have uh, tried to imply that I, my job was making the tea or or filing the papers. Yeah, I've, seen, or something. I've seen that too, and it's not only <laughs> British ufologists. There's some in the United States as well. But well, you know, yeah, I, I think I think that's because they didn't fact check. Fortunately. Right. There's, there's a statement in all this, the, the, the sort of over-exaggeration of my role, the dishonest downplaying of my role, all of it could be sorted out in about five seconds with a fact check on the official website of British Parliament because there's a statement there in black and white uh, for everyone to see, which basically says between 91 and 94, uh, my duties included investigating UFOs. So that that's the simple answer to the question. I was the subject matter expert for UAP, as we call them, from 1991 to 1994. Everything else is either uh, an over-exaggeration or a dishonest downplaying. <laughs> yeah, and you've got you've got both ends, both extremes. Yes, either. You were you were making tea, or you were the <laughs> Minister of Defense. <laughs> yes. So, all right. Well, let's let's move on. Uh, you know, you released. I, I believe you released or, or commented on that famous uh, photograph that you used to say had was still secret that was released. Uh, 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 am I, are we? Am I talking about something that you remember? Absolutely. Yes. This yes. was. This was a story that dates back to 1990, so the year before I actually started investigating UFOs for the ministry. And so my, this was one of my predecessors' cases. It involved a sighting in Scotland where two individuals saw and then took six very good, clear color photos of a large diamond-shaped craft uh, during during the twilight, uh, but it was light enough that, that there was good, good resolution. Um, and th they, they then reported this to a Scottish newspaper. 
the newspaper came to the Ministry of Defense, asked for a comment on this, and we somehow managed to extract from the newspaper not just the photographs, but also the negatives, and oh, they never got them back. Of course not. <laughs> well, you know, what interested me about the photograph was, as my listeners know, uh, one of my uncles was involved in the collection and trying attempt to assemble the debris at uh, Wright Field from the Roswell debris when it was brought in in 1947. And um, between him and his friend, General Arthur Exon, I learned a good deal about that debris. And quite frankly, when I saw the photograph, I thought, my goodness, this looks like the Roswell craft. They described it as looking like a kite or a tent and being held up inside by balsa wood ribs, <coughs> which were distinguished by the fact that nothing whatsoever could be done to them. They couldn't be burned or anything, and nor could this flimsy fabric it was made of be affected by anything. They couldn't shoot a hole in it or anything, burn it. So uh, I was quite interested in that, and I wondered that I wondered if we weren't seeing some sort of similar craft. Now let's move on. Uh, I'd like to mention, by the way, that uh, Nick is uh, involved with Ancient Aliens, of course. You've seen him on Ancient Aliens, along with the other Ancient Aliens superstars. Uh, have you any projects that, that are exciting to you that you're doing right now, if I may ask? Well, just uh, running with that point, uh, Ancient Aliens has been renewed for another season. I've lost count now because uh, I think uh, the network counts it from a different way to IMDb. But I think we're in season something like 20, which is, is just amazing, considering that this all started with a, a one-off special in 2009. But the, the new season is being uh, filmed as we speak. I think next week, actually, I've got my next shoot so quite when we'll see that new season i don't know i i want to say maybe uh, spring so so watch that and something else which is great fun is i also moderate ancient aliens live which is a, a stage show a 90 minute live stage show based on the tv series and i'm as I say, moderator, we have Giorgio Sukalos, of course, William Henry, David Childress, and for some of the shows, Dr. Travis Taylor. And we've, we've done about, I don't know, 30, 35, maybe 40 shows so far. We've got another 20 or so in, in the diary for, for this year. And audiences love it. We go into theaters, old, yes. old fashioned stage theaters. So, we have audiences ranging from, I don't know, about 750 to maybe 2,000 each evening. And, um, yeah, we cover, obviously, all the classics. So we talk about the pyramids and Stonehenge and Pumapunku and, and a lot of ancient sites and mysteries. But we also bring it up to date by talking about some of the more modern UAP issues. So uh, people, people love it. It's great fun. Well, I'm glad to hear that. Uh, and Free Dreamlanders, you're going to be equally glad to hear that we're taking a little break right now. We'll be right back. There's a new world coming if we can take it. What does that mean? The first part of the message is if we can take it for ourselves on our own terms. The second part of the message is, can we bear the newness and the huge expansion of human consciousness that is going to be involved? Can we take it? A new world. It doesn't mince words. It tells the good, the bad, and the ugly like it is, and it leaves a message behind. Can you do this? Do you want to? Do we have an alternative? Right now, at this point in history, mankind is either going to get a lot bigger or not. I choose 
to go forward. I choose to live for and in the future. I choose the future. A new world. We can take it. Available in hardcover, softcover, audiobook, and Kindle. This is a brief excerpt from an interview with two contactees who had an 11-day close encounter experience and are now willing to speak about it, really, for the first time. To hear their whole interview and many others, subscribe to unknowncountry.com. Here's the excerpt. Did you see the man's face? Yes. Uh, actually, that one is very clear to me. It was kind of longish, and uh, he didn't look... He didn't look completely human, but he, because he had very, very thin hair, almost non-existent, but he was young, I believe that it was kind of blonde, and he was very tall, like six, at least six feet, and he was so thin that he looked kind of strange. And what happened then? Well, he wanted me to to go with him or to stay with him. He wanted me to stay with him on the ship. And I'd been married for six months, and I wasn't about to go running off to stay on the ship. Now, surely you want more. You must want more. And there is more, not only this contactee interview, but many others, many of them just as extraordinary on unknowncountry.com, plus everything else that we offer, my audio books, the meditations, the talks on the key, William Henry's wonderful revelation show and its entire run, and Strieber's brilliant and magical mysterious powers, and so much more. Hours and hours of listening pleasure. Learn from the meditations on the site. Really learn because they're real and they're valuable. Subscribe to unknowncountry.com right now. Go to unknowncountry.com. Click on the subscribe tab. We are running very low on new subscribers now, and that should not be. It should not be happening. So you do it. You go there and you do it today. We're talking to Nick Pope, living legend and looking very healthy too, thank God. <laughs> uh, a big star of ancient aliens and, of so, and in so many other ways, one of the most articulate people in the UFO community, in my opinion. Uh, you brushed past Travis Taylor, who interests me greatly. Uh, I'm interested in Travis Taylor because of the absolutely unique career track. He is close to being a Pentagon insider and to some extent is that. He brings the supernatural into uh, this and he's also of course a TV presenter and uh, a TV personality rather. And uh, I'm interested in talking not about Travis himself. I'll talk to Travis when I get to interview him. But what about the relationship between the the uh, official UFO community and the supernatural? And I don't mean the, uh, the outside community. I know you know something about the community on the inside and its uh, fascination with the supernatural and fear of it. Yes, there's no getting away from that connection. However much we might want to confine ourselves to talking about nuts and bolts UAP, there is a paranormal side to this. Some would say some of that is, is a bit of a dark side on occasion as well. And we can look at, I suppose, Skinwalker Ranch as being a, a convergence point between those two things. And it's interesting that some of the the people involved in UAP research for the Defense Intelligence Agency, for the DOD, 
people like James Lukatsky and uh, Jay Stratton have all visited Skinwalker Ranch and Travis Taylor, of course, th both through his research there and through the TV show, uh, Secret of Skinwalker Ranch, is, is there a lot. And you're right about Travis. He's an intriguing character. He has a foot in both camps, I guess, the government camp. He was chief scientist on the UAP task force when Jay Stratton was the director. But of course, also he he uh, is, is on these TV shows like Ancient Aliens. And uh, Skinwalker Ranch is a place where there's been everything from UFO sightings through to animal mutilations, portals, um, paranormal phenomena in relation to sightings of what you could only really describe, I suppose, as, well, the eponymous skinwalker, of, of course, a, a malevolent witch in some Native American uh, law. And uh, the story goes on and, and the work goes on, of course. So much really heavy scientific research and investigation being done at Skinwalker Ranch right now. I mean, when I last spoke to Travis, I think literally he was at the ranch uh, running experiments. Hal Pudoff once asked me, Whitley, why don't you go to Skinwalker Ranch? I said, Hal, you must be crazy. I wouldn't go near a place like that. Look at what is in my life already. And I don't want well, a, <laughs> something attached to me coming back you, from there. You you don't need to go looking for something that's already found you, Whitley. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And that gets me to my next question. I also know people who are connected with this whole business who are of the belief that the entire UFO uh, community is inviting demons in by researching at all. And these are powerful people. What do you say to that? Is this a demonic presence and therefore should we ignore it? And if we aren't ignoring it, what's, and it is demonic, what's going to happen to us? Well, I think it's a really interesting question. I'm going to break it down into two parts. Firstly, I personally don't believe that this is demonic. But, and this is where things get very interesting, you're absolutely right. There is, and has been for a while, a faction within the U.S. government, the military, the intelligence community, and the U.K. too by the way, maybe some other countries, but those two I know for sure. There is a faction that thinks some of this is demonic. One of the things they point to, which has given rise to this belief, is in the book of Ephesians, where um, the biblical description of Satan uses the phrase, the prince of the power of the air. And that's a passage that has resonated with a lot of people and has given rise to this belief in certain quarters that it's demonic. And as you say, what they then go on to say is, because they think it's demonic, they believe you should not engage with it, because engaging with it gives it energy, feeds it, which they say you absolutely should not do. And uh, on one occasion, Lou Elizondo um, from, from the ATIP program, was trying to inter interest one of his Pentagon bosses in doing a bit more about this. And he was waved away with, and he was basically told, son, go read your Bible. And uh, I, I came across something similar in the UK where former chief of the defense staff, Lord Hill Norton, who was making a lot of progress on, on this with a believer faction, came under the influence of a maverick priest called Paul Inglesby, who felt that this was demonic. So, so I don't think it's demonic, but enough influential people do think it's demonic to, on occasion, drive and influence policy on this subject within government. Very much more than you may think, I suspect. Uh, you're, I think that, that the fundamental reason that it stayed secret after about 1949 and 1950 there were two one is that it was a national security issue because we were shooting at them and 
not having much success. Uh, and But a great part of it was fear. And this was within the scientific committee, committee which I don't believe was called MJ-12, by the way, uh, and also in the military, especially uh, people uh, like General Twining. He was a terribly interesting man. He was converted to Catholicism by, of all people, Padre Pio, oh. who he met when he was uh, chief of the 15th Air Force in Italy. And then comes back to the United States and gets involved with this. And who is his confessor? But Padre Pio, a levitating saint. I mean, it just doesn't get crazier than that. No. And I think somebody else, I mean, I, I just because of the, the dates and things, never met Padre Pio. But I did meet, and, and I believe you have too, but correct me if I'm wrong, Monsignor Carrado Balducci. I he did. Was, we spent an evening with him in the Vatican. Ann and I did having dinner. Right. Fascinating character. And again, uh, you know, just indicative of those interesting linkages between this subject and religion and, and the Catholic Church in particular, but others, other denominations too. Monsignor Balducci was the exorcist for the Archdiocese of Rome and offered to perform an exorcism on me and ah. my wife at his apartment in the Vatican while we were at right after dinner. We didn't take him up on it, but I've often wondered whether or not we should. Yes, I, I met him in Rome too, but not in the Vatican, I, I should say, but uh, a fascinating character for sure. Well, yes, and he believed that this was a demonic, uh, 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 a demonic presence, absolutely. He was different. I'm not absolutely sure he offered to exercise us because he spoke, at least when we knew him, we spoke what I would describe as theoretical English. <laughs> you weren't absolutely sure what he was saying. And since my Italian is more theoretical, we didn't, we, 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 we may have been at cross purposes at times during the conversation. Uh, but we have a, a, a situation where deep inside, the government, or not so deep inside the government in some respects, there are uh, people who want to ignore this because they believe it's demonic. And that's a very powerful part of this. Now you get to Congress, and what do you see? You see members of the far right community and the Christian right, in fact, urging more disclosure. How do we reconcile those two things? Have the Congress people not gotten the right whispers or what's going on, do you think? I think it relates to the subtle differences in people's interpretation of, of the Bible, but also of, of the concept of, of demons. I mean, uh, depending on which translation you, you read, of course, some, some would say the word demons never appears in the Bible at all, which, yes. which I think for many of, of the versions is true, but arguably phrases like unclean spirits is essentially talking about the same thing. And the difference between, say, unclean spirits inhabiting a herd of pigs uh, that then get driven off a, a cliff and, say, demonic possession is, is a fine line of theology. But uh, I, I think there are several different things that go into the mix. Arguably, there's a group of people who are so invested in the idea that the second coming can only happen after Armageddon. Therefore, they think maybe Armageddon is a good thing and want to, to nudge us along. I, I don't agree with that, I should hasten to add. But th there are people who, who believe it, and uh, such beliefs were parodied, for example, in the, what was it, the 80s comedy show, Whoops Apocalypse, but um, yeah. it wouldn't right. be funny. Yeah, it wouldn't be funny. And the, the, remember the character of the deacon. But the joke wouldn't work if people didn't know full well that have looked into it that there are people out there like that and who do believe that you, you need Armageddon before the second coming can happen. So therefore, they would welcome it. So that's, that's one thing. But the other thing I would say, and, and this gives me hope, 
is that in these politically divided times, when you look at, for example, the most recent House Oversight Committee briefing and the various congressional representatives who spoke to the media afterwards, it is actually a mix of Republicans and Democrats. Yes. And I hope that continues. I hope it continues to be bipartisan. If it doesn't continue to be part bipartisan, it will fail. And there are people inside the government who really want it to fail on yes. many different levels. And we know, uh, well, we, let, I can't say we know. I wish I could, because I do know. Let me put it another way. David Grush has said, frankly, that there are biological materials. Bio, yes. bodies. Yes. Biologics. Biologics, um, as he calls them, <laughs> right. Um, it sounds like some sort of very concerning sort of medication that you might have to drink but not want to very much. But in any case, he means physical bodies and so forth. Now, I can well understand a desire to keep the materials secret, especially if we have no idea how the propulsion system works, although it's an open secret that we do know something about how the the how, how to create a, an independent gravity field, something, not a lot, but we can do it to a degree. But not, we don't know how this, these things are propelled at all. Uh, now, but why are the bodies kept secret, do you suppose? Yeah, that's, that's a tricky one. One possible answer is that, and I hate to say this because it's very dark side, but that the idea that somebody with, bad intentions might be able to construct a bioweapon out of out of it in some way even even though it's dead uh, if if it's dead who knows and uh, but that's that's one possibility and and i agree with you by the way on propulsion systems i think we've got a good theoretical idea of how it works i'm not entirely convinced we've been able to successfully replicate any of that. I mean, the fact that some of the paperwork from ATIP shows that they were grappling with uh, scientific papers, theoretical physics um, about anti-gravity suggests to me they haven't yet figured it all out. But uh, that's that's perhaps another subject. But back to the biologics. Yeah, the, the possibility that somebody could construct a bioweapon is, is one possibility, but also just linking it back to what we were discussing about the link between the paranormal. David Grush has been very careful, as you know, to, I think, avoid the phrase, the word extraterrestrial. And he, most times, he veers towards the phrase non-human intelligence. And he's occasionally hinted at something interdimensional. And going back to the House Oversight Committee, uh, Representative um, Luna has talked about this and has said it concerns her. What if, I mean, I'm, I'm just speculating here, but what if there is some other aspect to these biologics that crosses over from the physical into another realm, uh, the metaphysical, other dimensions, whatever you might want to call it. Those are just labels, of course, but somewhere else. That has to be the most interesting answer to that question I've ever heard. Thank you. I'm telling you that from a place of knowledge that I, let me just put it this way. I think you might be right. And I think that that would explain why these biologics are kept in such, they're more deeply hidden than the materials, I would think. What might it be, though, uh, that is, say it is a parallel universe? Can you suggest any reasons why we might not want to be in touch with it, in contact with it? Well, I'm, I'm not a scientist, but I do have a sort of layperson's understanding, for example, of, of what happens when antimatter comes in contact with matter. I mean, it's it's essentially annihilation and and the production of large amounts of energy. So that's that's why some JPL uh, theoretical physicists have talked about the possibility of a matter antimatter annihilation propulsion system. 
But I think on your specific question, I think just the fact that we wouldn't really have any way of controlling any of this. The old joke, what, well, what do you, if you manufacture the antimatter, what do you keep it in? Uh, yeah, you know? exactly. <laughs> so, you but I think, anything. I think, I think the answer to your question is that theoretical physicists who've even looked at this would be very, very reluctant to in any way sort of bring about a situation where something from another dimension, a, a parallel universe, call it what you want, sort of bled into ours because there might be this, this sort of annihilation of matter, antimatter type analogy. There might also be a blending of the laws of physics. And that might be interesting, but it might not be very good for things like matter holding together. I mean, the strong nuclear force and the, the weak nuclear force have to be just so for our universe to work. If you start changing the values, everything starts falling apart, not just metaphorically, but literally. And uh, that's possibly a reason to be very, very careful about letting something from somewhere else into our universe. Yeah, when I first began to know about this many years ago, I wrote a short story called Falling Apart about everyone suddenly mysteriously just falling apart um, because it was so terrifying. Uh, but the story is very scary and no one wants to read it, so I just leave it in a drawer. Uh, it might be out there on the internet somewhere, I don't know. In any case, um, there was a scientist in, engaged with this in the early days called John von Neumann, a physicist uh, in his time known as the, called by the press the smartest man in the world. And I understood that he had theorized that if this ever got out into the public and became part of our assumed reality, that it would take over the way the world appears and it would, it, it, we, we would in effect be plunged into a state of permanent and irreducible confusion, just sort of like what you were saying. Now, I've never been able to confirm that. I wrote another story called The Open Doors about von Neumann and his fears, but I can't confirm it. Have you heard anything related to that in any way? Because it would be one of the reasons that the secrecy is so closely guarded. Yeah, I have not heard anything about that. But what I would say is this, when the smartest man in the world gets worried about something, I think we should all worry about it. If he did. <laughs> if you he know, did. I could be some, you know, I've been involved with a lot of very strange people in this business, and it could have been somebody trying to frighten me into shutting my mouth. You know, like the people with the demonic thing did. They tried hard to get me to shut up because, uh, and then, so you don't know. Uh, but no, I, I have not, I have not heard that. Well, let's move on to some uh, other topics. Uh, we, where are we now, do you think, when it comes to the public getting more solid information about this? Because the David Grush information is almost solid, but it's not as solid as it could be. Uh, and I say by solid information, information that flows to us from an established official level, perhaps through Congress. How, how likely is this to happen, do you think? It's somewhat likely, but it's not a done deal. I, I would say it's moving ahead on multiple interrelated fronts. So about a week ago now, of course, the intelligence community inspector general gave a, a classified briefing to some members of the House Oversight Committee. And some of those congressional representatives then came out and spoke to the media and at unclassified level gave a summary. And it was confusing, as you would expect. Some said, oh, it's just more of the same. Others said, and I think the quote was, it's moved the needle forward. 
I think the most telling assessment was that the briefing dealt with the procedural aspects of David Grush's complaint against um, uh, his, his former employers, but it didn't get into the substance of it. And that, of course, is what Congress, the media, and the American people want to hear. They, I mean, as important as the procedural aspects of his complaint are, you know, was he retaliated against or not? How is that going to be assessed and judged? What people really want to know is, come on, you know, he's talked about ships and, and bodies. Is any of that true? And Congress is trying to get some answers on that from the Department of Defense and from the intelligence community. But obviously, because of the levels of classification, it's a very slow and frustrating business. But it is moving forward, I am told. And also, of course, all the things that are congressionally mandated by the last defense bill are still going ahead. So, for example, fairly soon we'll have uh, the first volume of the historical records review that uh, DOD and specifically Arrow were mandated to do under the National Defense Authorization Act uh, for fiscal year 2023. So that's coming soon. So there's there's going to be more hearings in Congress, both public hearings and classified briefings. There are going to be more reports from the DOD and uh, ODNI. And always, of course, as I always say, the thing to really watch are the things that will come suddenly and unexpectedly from left field, probably the next of which will be more whistleblowers. Interestingly enough, it could be more whistleblowers or it could be the beings themselves beginning to emerge in some way. The, you know, there was that strange event that took place in Florida that the police swear up and down was just a police action because they thought that kids throwing around firecrackers in a shopping mall was a gunfight. And, and I think that's probably true. But at the same time, I'm sure you've heard the same fear expressed by various people that this could come about unexpectedly, that they yes. could suddenly appear in ways that we can't deny. I mean, I'm not saying any of these individual incidents are real, but you mentioned the Miami one. There was also, of course, the one in South America with the the... 10 foot tall beings then there was the one in las vegas and then of course there's tiffany gomez on on the plane saying i'm telling you right now this and i'm not going to use the the word but is not real so so i don't know i don't know if any of those cases individually stand up as extraterrestrial or paranormal but let's just suppose something like that suddenly manifests itself. The point at which you can no longer keep something a secret is the point where you don't bother trying. And maybe we are reaching that tipping point when either the government or the phenomenon itself says, okay, we can't really hide anymore. They've got all these space tracking radars and James Webb. The secret will be out soon enough. So, well, we might as well not bother trying to, to tiptoe around anymore. Here we are. But of course, if something becomes publicly visible that can't be denied. And right now there are suggestions, but nothing concrete. And all of those suggestions could be nothing more than a, a hallucination or a, a mirage or, or simply def camera defects. But if something were to become absolutely concrete in the public that was generated not in any way by us, but by them, uh, a UFO landing. I've always, I've had, as you know, I'm an experiencer and I have a certain amount of communication with them. God help me if they are demons. Uh, in any case, uh, I've said, I've thought to myself, the greatest joke in history would be if they did land on the White House lawn. <laughs> what if something like that happens? Yes. Why? And, and why wouldn't it? In one sense, yes. it, it does make a, a degree of, of sense that they would do that, not least because playing to the meme uh, might might be something that would appeal to the, the cosmic joker aspect 
of all this, which is most certainly part of the phenomenon. So well, it certainly is. <laughs> so God I, knows. I couldn't, I couldn't rule it out for sure. Um, free Dreamlanders, I've discovered that we haven't taken a break in a very long time. This is a wonderful, fun conversation with Nick, as is always the case. But I've remembered, unfortunately for you, so we're taking a break now. Have you ever read Communion? Or have you never read Communion? It's out in a new edition. Very powerful, a subtly new cover that reflects the fact that the visitors are now looking back at us because they truly are. You can get it from the unknowncountry.com store as a Kindle, as a beautiful, sumptuous paperback, or as an unabridged audiobook read by me. It's the first time in the whole life of communion that it has been read in full in audio format. And believe you me, I felt that reading. I put my life, my memories into it. And I trust you can hear it in the voice. I sure felt it while I was reading. So get communion, listen to it, read it. Communion is of central importance to all of our lives. This is Whitley Strieber. Listen to me now from June of 2010, talking to Alan Lammers about an incredible thing that happened to him on the island of Sulawesi in Indonesia. Here you are in South Sulawesi in the little town in the district of Sandu Batu. You were, what happened? You were told something rather strange. Well, we were told before we went, um, like my, my friends that I work with in, with the NGO, they told me that when you pack, because it kind of happened by accident, I went out to buy a raincoat. It rains quite a bit in this part of the world. And so I went out and I bought a yellow raincoat. And my friend said, I'm sorry, you can't, you can't take that to Walla Walla. And I said, well, why not? And he says, well, it's the, you can't wear that color. So anyways, excuse me. So I thought, okay, well, what colors can I wear? They, they said, well, you can only wear black or white. You cannot wear any bright colors, no bright green, especially no yellow. And, you know, that's all you should bring. And I, and I said, well, what would happen? And they said, well, uh, people disappear. You will find the rest of that story, and it is brain-bending, in the June 5th edition of Dreamland, June 5, 2010 edition of Dreamland in the unknowncountry.com archive. This archive is one of the richest of its kind in the world, probably is the richest of its kind in the world, filled with extraordinary shows, of which this show is certainly one, this show with Alan Lammers. You will never have heard anything like it. It does what Dreamland is here to do. It opens your mind to the fact that we live inside a hidden reality that we prefer not to acknowledge, but not here. Here on UnknownCountry.com, we do acknowledge it. We live in it and we love it. Subscribe today. You can't go wrong. Go to UnknownCountry.com right now and get started. We're talking to Nick Pope. Uh, Nick, what are you most excited about that you're doing right now? We talked a little bit about ancient aliens and the the uh, stage show, which sounds like marvelous fun. I I would I will certainly go if you ever come to Los Angeles, which I'm sure you will. Or I I hope so. I think uh, we've got uh, the dates are listed on the website, which is I think uh, ancientalienslivetour.com. I know there's a California show in Anaheim, I think, but uh, I'm not well, sure. Or I might go to, I can go to Anaheim, Anaheim easily. 
Okay. Uh, well, that that would be great. Uh, but um, that so that excites me. Something else, actually, at the complete opposite end of the spectrum, that excites me is. Uh, whilst I'm not a scientist, I am one of the non-scientists in the Galileo project, which is under the leadership, of course, of Professor Avi Lowe at Harvard. So uh, to be, and, and I'm involved in that along with other ex-government people like Christopher Mellon and Luis Elizondo, who, who, while not scientists, are in the Galileo project in a sort of advisory capacity as research affiliates or whatever the term is so so to be um in in an organization with someone as as not not just intelligent but someone who's a, a real thought leader like avi loeb and all the rest of the scientific team that's fascinating it's an honor and a privilege to be a part of of that so you've got these these two aspects you've got the pop culture of something like ancient aliens in you know 20, 20 seasons of a smash hit tv show and then you've got the scientists the academics now after years of not wanting to touch this issue saying hey we've missed a trick we should be doing this and applying the scientific method to it long overdue so that excites me as well also I'm excited. I mentioned earlier briefly James Webb Space Telescope. I'm sure you've heard the very strong rumors in the astrophysics community that a biosignature has been detected, that a scientific paper is being or has already been peer-reviewed and, and written up and that publication is, is going to be almost certainly this year and they might bring it forward because, of course, scientists are terrible gossips and news yeah. of this is is leaking out as we speak but i i mean the idea of a not just maybe a a, a chemical signature but a bio signature and perhaps even a techno signature something that would take us because you can always have a debate about uh, the chemical causes of this and you can say well is it life or is it just chemistry and there are for example chemical causes of methane in the atmosphere for example but but imagine if it really is a techno signature um so i don't know what they've found you can read between the lines and maybe join a few dots and speculate but i hope it is what what some people think it is well i hope so too i've heard those rumors as well and i haven't followed them up yet but uh and I've heard that there, well, I'll be frank, I can be more open about it. I, I've heard there is a, a techno signature and I, I haven't been able to find out exactly what it is, but I suspect that it might be the presence of certain types of air pollution that mean the present, that indicate the presence of technology. And um, it occurred to me that, oh my God, we're not alone in that respect either. <laughs> so. Yes. Yeah, have to yes. see what, what they say. Um, the, the other question, though, is the degree to which this is all from here. And there is, an, I know, a great deal of controversy inside the government and, and the defense community about where these beings actually are from. And we've talked about another uh, another uh, parallel universe, et cetera, and so forth. We haven't talked about the idea that they might actually be from here. And there's a paper that has just been published by um, Bernardo Castrop, uh, the philosopher, suggesting that they could be from the very distant past. What do you think of that? I was amazed by that. Yeah, it's it's fascinating. I mean, the idea, I, you sometimes hear people talk about the crypto-terrestrial hypothesis. You yeah. sometimes hear people talk about, well, I, I, I don't want to say hollow earth, because I think that's slightly misleading, but but talking about uh, there, there being caverns or 
structures and and who knows what's under antarctica of course that's a whole nother question and the old cliche but it's true that in many respects we know less about the deep oceans than we do about the surface of the moon or mars so yes before we spend too much time and effort looking out there let's not forget to have a jolly good look around down here well yeah um you know carolyn corey's documentary about uh a possible base off of uh, Santa Catalina Island, which would it's would I and, and, and you know at the were you at the um, Seoul conference, Gary Nolan's conference? I don't believe I, so. I, no, I I was not. That I actually I I wanted to go, but it among other things it coincided with some Ancient Aliens live shows. So I was oh. I was away on tour, but I must uh, I I met I met met Gary Nolan, actually, I think only once when I moderated a panel at AlienCon with him, Jay Stratton, and Travis Taylor. So I must, I must ask him an about... an interesting panel. <laughs> oh, for, oh, for sure. For <laughs> sure. Uh, yeah, I must, I must ask Gary if I can come along to the next one. But sorry, no, you, you were going to say I, I was not at the, the, the first The next one. one's going to be in Washington, and it's going to be very oriented toward uh, po the political world and... Uh, and, and that that community, I don't know if I can go or not. I'm I'm um, I'm a real outlier. You know, I'm not. A, I wasn't uh, asked to speak at the last one, so I asked questions at appropriate times instead. Um, and you know, they're having trouble handling the whole idea of the the close encounter people and the close encounter community. Um, uh, uh, and I don't blame them. Congress is particularly having difficulty with it sure. because, you know, it's the the problem being that if you say this is real and there are aliens here, someone is here, then you have to also say that you have to answer the question of the men and women of this community who have been abducted. And that's maybe why we can't at present have or there seem to be a lot of obstacles to disclosure because yes. it's not just my fellow Americans, people of the world, we're not alone. It's, and by the way, uh, here's the backstory, the 80-year the backstory, and it's not pleasant. Not pleasant at all. Uh, now, you know, one of the, you mentioned Jay Stratton, we talked about him briefly earlier, a naval intelligence officer. And I'm fascinated by the difference between the way the Air Force is dealing with all of this and the way the Navy is. The Navy is much more open. The Air Force is totally clammed up. It's totally silent about everything. And it is not in the disclosure camp in any way whatsoever. Why is this difference present? I think part of it is just factional infighting. I mean, there's always, of course, been inter-service rivalry. Um, that's that's pretty universal. But also, even within the individual services, there are factions. There are believer factions. There are skeptic factions. Within the believer faction, there's people that think it's extraterrestrial. There are people who think it's demonic. There are people who think it's interdimensional. And there are people who don't know, but but they're pretty sure it's it's real and tangible. So it is complex. At, at present, one would have to say the answer to your question is probably that either a, a very skeptical faction or a very anti-disclosure faction has the upper hand in the Air Force and is just saying nothing and engaging as, as little as they can. But, of course, they can't maintain that position because it is congressionally mandated that they engage. So even if they're not making public statements, they are having to pass information about what they are doing, what they know historically about this, uh, to appropriately cleared people in Congress. Unfortunately, while that's true, uh, th there are two problems. The first one is they do not have to disclose anything that's classified. And the second problem is legally they are allowed to lie in order to protect classified information, meaning that they can say there is no evidence at all 
of aliens or UFOs being present in our world and know it's a lie and still not be violating the law. Yes, I should perhaps have qualified my answer by saying when I'm talking about disclosing, I'm talking about disclosing to appropriately cleared people in Congress and not, yes. not necessarily the media and the public. And even within Congress, of course, you, you know, you've got the so-called gang of eight who are empowered to see most things, but not everything. And, and then, of course, there are various presidential exemptions to briefing the gang of eight. But even then, you could say, well, so what? There are some programs which just may be completely illegal and off the books. And history, I mean, you don't have to be a conspiracy theorist to believe that. History shows us that such illegal and off the books programs exist. Look at, I, I don't want to get into this, but look at the so called enterprise. Some of the people uh, in, involved in on the fringes of some of the Iran Contra business, um, Kleins and um, Shackley and von Marbod, and, and you know their their whole. They even called it the enterprise. Right. Yeah, uh, free enterprise. It was called. <laughs> yeah, I had a brush with it long before I was involved with uh, with any UFO stuff, and so I know a lot about it actually. And I'm not going to get into it either, except to say that one day I will tell a very funny story about it, um, uh, but not today. I look forward uh, to that. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, the, the, interestingly enough, uh, there is a company uh, out there uh, called Radiance Technologies. Oh, yeah. Jake Stratton and Travis Taylor are both, I believe, involved with Radiance Technologies now. Yes, correct. Is that correct? Is yes. That correct? Yeah. If, what is that company and what does it do? do you, what do you know about it? Well, I... I'm not sure I, I can really, I, I mean, I don't know much, if anything, about that over and above what they've said publicly. But even if I did, I think I'd be getting into some fairly difficult territory. So I, I think uh, I, I'd, better just, boy, yeah, I'd, I'd better just say folks can look at their website. Now, now <laughs> you know, yeah, but that is, that is interesting, isn't it? <laughs> yes, it's very interesting. And folks, you should certainly look at the Radiance Technology website. And if you have questions, just send them to whitleyatstreber.com and I will answer them in some very mealy-mouthed way too. <laughs> so, but I'm sorry to take us down these slippery slopes, Nick, but it's always a lot of fun to do. Um, now, let me see here. Uh, now, you, you, your advocacy is very definitely in the direction of more disclosure. And yet at the same time, looking at the abduction phenomenon and at the possibility, while I want to go on record as saying I don't believe in biblical or not biblical, but in traditional demonic demons, uh, there's something quite terrible going on here. There's part of it is not good, or it, it doesn't appear to be good. I, I might add that if you take a kitten, kitten to the vet, the vet's the kitten's terrified and thinks it's in the hands of some terrible evil. I'm sure, while it's actually being saved by the vet, so it could be that, but we don't know. Should we, we, we be careful? We we should be. So I mean. I have often said that disclosure may come with a dark side, almost certainly will come with a dark side. If it didn't, we'd have had disclosure in 1947 if, if all of the stories are true. So you can argue it from that point of view and say, well, because we haven't had it, there must be some impediment to it. And what bigger impediment in a sense than the fact that it does inextricably come with a dark side, a secret too terrible to be told. You know, you're the only person I've talked to that I can remember who's even touched on the possibility that the, there may be something 
toxic about the bodies, about the biologics, that is not toxic in the sense of carrying disease, but toxic on a more uh, on, on a more fundamental level, uh, having to do with the construction of reality itself. Uh, do you think you could? Exp I, I don't. I, I I don't think you have any secret information about that. But no. could you just riff on it a little bit because more? Because I thought it was a fascinating statement. Sure. Well, it could be a bit of both. Um, the toxic nature of of the bodies could be both physical and you know. I'm struggling for the right word here. I don't. I don't know whether I should say metaphysical or or pertaining to theoretical physics and this is we are at the boundary of where our words and and definitions probably break down particularly yeah. if we are literally talking about something from another universe bleeding into our universe and and this of course is is just part of the multiverse theory in some ways so it's it's not it's not like completely science fiction there are plenty of theoretical physicists who believe in the multiverse and there are plenty who believe there are points where these, these, whether you call them different universes or different realities or different dimensions, but where they touch and where they touch, these are, some people might call them doorways or portals. Um, some, you know, in, in a sense, it doesn't matter what you call them, but let's suppose we do have craft and bodies. They may represent literally that gateway between our universe and theirs. And as always with a gateway, the, the danger is that something comes through that you don't want to come through. Well, I, that was the point of the John von Neumann speculation that if we, if we admitted this into our reality, it would open a door that we could never close because the door would be on our minds and they would come through that door and we would not be able to control it in any way whatsoever. If that's true, you can understand the absolute desire under the surface, and it is really strong to keep this under wraps. I mean, in fact, I wouldn't be surprised if there hasn't been an effort going on now for a couple of years to figure out how to just finally close Congress down and make them go home and shut their traps I think that could very well be in the offing because they might tell them something that, you know, in effect, uh, 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 give them a warning they can't ignore. Yeah, the best way to shut them down would be uh, an intelligence operation that is essentially a sting operation. Put someone out there as a whistleblower or put out a, a, a film or a photograph that Congress then hang their hat on and then it all implodes and they look foolish and they won't touch it again. Well, you know, I thought that David Grush was that. That's exactly what I thought when I first heard him appear. I thought, oh my God, they've, they're going to close the door because this guy is going to be revealed as a fraud. And, uh, uh, at the present time, I don't think that's true. No, I've heard from at least three uh, former intelligence community people who knew him when he was in post that he is the real deal. So I don't think David Grush is is that sting operation, but some someone, something like that situation. That's why it's never a smart thing to bet the farm on anything. And uh, I think... I think the UFO community bet the farm on those three U.S. Navy videos. I think people are betting the farm on on David Grush. That might be a smart bet. I mean, it might turn out to be a correct bet, but it's never a smart bet to bet the farm on anything. <laughs> well, you know, I we're coming to the end of our hour together, and I think that in my personal opinion is that we really do need to figure out the effect this will all have on human the human experience before we go too deeply into it because i can never forget the moment when i realized i was really there in that room with these strange beings and 
they were removing sexual material from my body. And I know many, many people who have had that experience. And until we understand what that is very clearly and how to control it if we can, I'm not in favor of full disclosure. I don't think it's ready. we're ready. Well, this is why people like David Grush talk about ontological shock. And when asked how people would feel if they knew what he knew about all this, Lou Elizondo answered with the word somber. Yes. And Lou Elizondo, by the way, will not interview with me. And I don't press that because I'm not sure I even want to talk about this with Lou Elizondo. I, I really don't. And uh, I, I'm... I think, you know, we've come to the end of our time together, and this has been an extraordinary interview. Nick Pope, at his, in my opinion, absolute best, being pushed to the edge and, and pushed to the edge, what happens? He becomes more articulate than ever. <laughs> it was marvelous, Nick. Thank you well, for being with us. Well, thank you. I always enjoy the intellectual cut and thrust of our, our discussions, and they take us to some truly interesting and sometimes unexpected places. Yeah, that's true. There's nobody else out there who's going to ask you the kind of questions I will. <laughs> that's for sure. Well, more power to you. And folks, uh, if Nick comes anywhere near your location, jump in your car, go to the show. It sounds like a hell of a lot of fun. Nick, thank you again. Thank you. You've been listening to Dreamland. Be sure to tune in again next week. Dreamland is brought to you by UnknownCountry.com and its family of subscribers. Our theme music is The O of Pleasure by Ray Lynch. Unknown Country was founded by Ann Streber. Our news editor is Matthew Frizzell. Our coordinator is Amy Safrankova. Whitley Streber is your Dreamland host. And I'm your announcer, Ted Alexander.